0: Um, I love the message. It really rocked my face off. And um, just in that, that our Savior didn't just die, but he resurrected. And upon resurrection, he didn't go make it. I mean, he'd already fought the good fight. He'd already done the battle. And instead of just going and relaxing up in heaven, he started appearing to people who he was worried about. That he wanted to reinstate. He he went after Mary Magdalene. The person that uh, not everybody would say that she was, uh, she was still working through some things. Uh, a woman with a, a, a sketchy past. And he went straight to her first. And he told her, told her how much he loved her. And he, and he reinstated her brokenness. And then he went and found Doubting Thomas, one of his guys that should have been right then and there. He should have been on it, but he wasn't. He wasn't having a good week. And Jesus went and found him. And then he went and found Peter, the great failure. I'll never deny you, Jesus. And I just love that my Jesus goes looking for us, especially in our times of brokenness. Would you say amen to that? would not that so good? And so as you study through the scriptures, Jesus does this for about 50 days. He appears, and then he ascends into the heavens. But prior to all of this, he starts prepping his his guys, his disciples, before he goes to the cross. And he says, listen, it's going to happen. They're going to kill me. He says, but don't worry about that, because I've got a plan. He said, I've got a plan to be sure that you're strengthened and that you are comforted and that you are trained and that you are taught, because I'm going to send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to study the person of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've titled it today, The Agent. Everybody say, The Agent. You can do better than that. Say, The Agent. And our key scripture is coming out of John chapter 16. Look there with me in verse 13. Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit His agent, the one who represents him, he says, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will will come and he will speak not of himself. He'll speak of what's mine. And because and, and the Father's given me all things because of my obedience to the cross, because of the life that I laid down on behalf of humanity, because the Father so loved the world that he gave me, he sacrificed me. And so my spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit will come. He'll not speak on his own. own. He will only speak of what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And so an agent, and I'm using this little term agent just as a fun word, is a person who acts on behalf of another. An agent is someone who acts on behalf of another. And this is the Holy Spirit's role in our life he is acting on behalf of jesus christ and it is a broken place for you and i to be intimidated of the holy spirit to be um to be uh resistant of the holy spirit he is jesus's agent sent to strengthen us to teach us to train us he is a person just he is the third part of the trinity he is the third person in the godhead god the father god the son and god the holy spirit jesus sent him on his behalf to lead us and guide us. And so I want to help demystify for some of you this um, engagement with this person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. I want to empower you over the next three weeks to understand his workings in mind in your life and how you and I can surrender and trust and let him lead us and let him guide us. And one preacher said it like this, Jesus is our advocate in heaven and the Holy Spirit is our advocate on the earth. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father saying, Daddy, we got to help him with this. Daddy, watch out. Daddy, listen, they don't mean it like that. And the Holy Spirit's sitting there going, listen, Jesus wants you to do this. Jesus wants you to do this. Get back, devil. Get back, devil. This is the, the role that the Holy Spirit should be walk, uh, uh, doing in our life. And I want to give you three significant moments or these engagements in the New Testament that we see that the Holy Spirit engaged with. We see the first real engagement in the New Testament is the conception of Jesus that the holy spirit is literally there in Luke chapter 1 verse 35 and and and, and the angel said Mary the holy spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be with child and he is Emmanuel the one chosen the holy spirit did that we see another second critical engagement in the new testament and that is when Jesus is water baptized in the book of Matthew Chapter 3 and verse 16, when he's baptized, um, he comes up out of the water and, and and the scriptures record that the Holy Spirit came and lit on him, landed on him in the form of some type of dove and some type of imagery. And then the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested. And, and from there, we see another great experience in the book of Acts. And that is what we call the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, and excuse me, in Acts chapter 2. And at the day of Pentecost, Jesus has died. He is resurrected, and he's ascended. But he said, go and wait for the promised gift. Now, the book of Joel tells a prophecy. Joel prophesies, Joel chapter 2. He says, there's going to be a day when God will pour out his spirit, and the scripture says, on all flesh. The reason why I need you to understand this is because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come down on people, they would do supernatural things, and then the Holy Spirit would lift off. It's as though he would depart from heaven, do supernatural things in the life of an individual, and then he would extract himself and go back into the heavens. We see that like with Samson. Samson would have this supernatural strength come upon him, and he could do crazy cool things, and then the Holy Spirit would lift off off of him. Or we see it like with Saul. Saul, who was struggling with demonic forces, uh, attacking his mind. Holy Spirit, Came upon him, and he began to prophesy, and then the Spirit of God lifted off of him. And Joel prophesied that one day the Spirit of the Living God would come, and he would live and abide in all flesh. So you got to understand, if you're a little Jewish boy and girl, you've heard the stories your whole life of the great prophets, the great special ones who God used, and the Spirit of the Lord was upon their life, and they did miracles, signs and wonders, they healed the sick, they did all these crazy things. But that wasn't for the average follower of God in the Old Testament. That was only for the special ones. And so when Joel prophesies, there's a day coming where he's going to pour out his Spirit on everyone. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So every little Jewish boy and girl growing up, they were like, Mom and Dad, is this gonna? you think it will happen in our lifetime? Do you think I could have the Spirit of God, the, the, the Holy Spirit on my life to do crazy big things? Maybe, Johnny. It could happen. It could be in your lifetime. And so Jesus, to his disciples, says, Not only is it going to happen, but I want you to wait for the outpouring that the Father promised. In Acts chapter 2 is that moment where he pours out his spirit on all flesh. And you and I now can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just kind of bring you back to even the first mention of the Holy Holy Spirit in Scripture. And this is found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Look at this. It says, in the beginning. Everybody say, "In in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Done. The reason why I'm a believer because I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care what the professors say. I mean, it takes more faith to believe that two atoms bumped into each other and everything we have, intelligent design all around us came from that. Yeah. You talk about a believer, you don't talk about believing a crazy theory. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was, first two, was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. That actually, in the original Hebraic, that, that, that whole statement is the earth was chaotic. There was there was nothing but chaos. It was just the uh, 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 you know just just chaoticness all over. And it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And from that point forward, the Holy Spirit, with in, in engagement with Father God and Jesus Christ, began to bring order. First day, God created this. Second day, this this and brought order. So let me just help you. So for some of you guys that came out of crazy Pentecostalism or something like that, let me just help you. The Holy Spirit is the God of order. Yeah. And so when you see foolishness, you can say, Oh, that can't be the Holy Spirit because there ain't no order up in this. Right. Even in his empowerment, even in his shaking things supernaturally off of our lives, there's order in that. There's beauty in that. He is a beautiful person. And over, the Holy Spirit is referred to just under a hundred times in the Old Testament but pay attention he's referred to over 250 times in the New Testament Old Testament 60 the total Bible is 66 books So you thirty nine got 39 books of the Bible in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, two and a half times more in the New Testament. Why? Because in the New Covenant relationship, he is a critical component to our engagement with Jesus Christ. He's a critical component for us being able to fulfill the New Covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. He is the point person. Are you with me? Say yes. He is the one. In fact, I want to just, for a moment, before we go any further, because I know when you start talking about and preaching on the person of the Holy Spirit, some of you are triggered because of things that you experienced. You get triggered. Especially if you came out of strong denominational. So, so Jamie, uh, so Mimi and Papa and I, we got saved in Church of Christ. And again, no, no shame to that group of people. But they were, as we grew up in Church of Christ, they were very opposed to any workings of the Holy Spirit. Didn't teach about it. Skipped over those chapters. We didn't know that we could have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and they especially got all weirded out with anything about tongues or prophecy or miracles, anything like that. And so, and so when we had this encounter with the Holy Spirit at this other church, and people were falling on the ground and shaking and baking, we were like, "Satan!" I mean, you know what I'm talking about. We watched those guys on TV. Praise the Lord, hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Bring it to me, sister. What happened to you? They said, "Shalalabadelabadelabadelabadel." Pick her back up. Pick her back up. Now tell me who healed you. Who healed your sister? And we'd watch that stuff on TV like, ooh, that's satanic. That's that devil. Until God started doing something in us. Come on, somebody. And then we're like, "Um, we don't really know how to explain this, but the spirit of the living God has been doing some stuff in us. And so I want to help you before we go any further and just give you a couple positions. That we as Hill City hold. Can I give that to you for just a moment? So here's a couple of the, the kind of doctrinal positions that we hold. First off, we believe there are two distinct works of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. The first work is regeneration. The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to come and begin to regenerate you, make you new. I no longer live, but Christ living in me. For you are a new creature in Christ. Old things passed away, of everything's going to become new. How does that happen? The spirit of the living God comes inside of you, and you begin, the, he starts convicting you and transforming you, and starts regenerating you, making you new. Not like your old self, but like a new person in Christ. Are you with me? Say yes. And that's one of the first primary works that the Holy Spirit does in our life. And we believe that he, in, he abides and inhabits you upon conversion. So the moment you say, I'm going to follow Jesus... I repent of my sins, that that's when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. He, he comes and abides in you in that moment. For some of you, that may be at water baptism, because that was the real moment where you decided to follow Jesus, to repent of your sins. For some, it's confession of the faith. We hold true, uh, unlike other people, that if you're not baptized, that you're not uh, that you're not truly saved, we disagree with that. Because and, and the working of the thief on the cross, when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, well, he didn't have an opportunity to get water baptized. We believe it's upon the profession of your faith. And the spirit of the living God comes and lives inside of you in that moment and starts convicting you And I don't only I don't only have scripture preference uh, precedence for that, but I have personal precedence in that When I repented of my sins for the first time in my life, I felt bad when I would cuss you out Like it felt bad Like before I cuss you out and then love every moment of it <laughs> Steal from you and enjoy the fact that I didn't get caught. Come on. Are you with me? But once I became a Christian and I asked the Lord God to forgive me of my sins and Jesus to be my Lord, all of a sudden something happened on the inside of me and started happening on the inside of me. Well, I go to cuss I feel bad about that. Like, I don't know why I feel bad about that. Why? Because the spirit of the living God was living inside of me and regenerating me. I used to teach kids all the time because, you know, when you go to, when you go to a little uh, you know, vacation Bible school, they would say, now, boys and girls, who lives inside of you? And they would all say, Jesus! And I would always explain to people, more I read scripture, more I found out Jesus came in the form of a man. And I'm going to put him at the perfect height at about 5'7". <laughs> <laughs> and so I just can't imagine. I don't know how 5'7 lives inside of you. All right, maybe he was 6'1". I don't know. He's, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Tony's all right. 6'3", 6'4", Pastor. Get the anointed height right. <laughs> But if Jesus Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, he sent his spirit to live inside of us. The spirit of Christ lives and abides inside of us. That's the first work to regenerate us. Here's the second work that we see in scripture, and that is and we believe this that he then came also his second work is to empower us. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 he says, "And ye shall receive power after which the Holy Spirit's come upon you." Power. So we should have power to overcome lust, perversion, hatred, anger. The Old Testament followers of God didn't have that power. Because the Holy Spirit didn't live and abide inside of them. And so he not only wants to regenerate us, make us new, but he also wants to give us power. And not only that, but he comes with power gifts. Power gifts. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, prophesy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And all these pieces. And so, and so I don't know why certain groupings of Christians have cut all that out of the believer's life when it is a critical work of the one who was sent By Jesus to train us, lead us, and guide us. I don't understand why we've cut that out, and it's not right. So Hill City's position is that we hope, and and this is where a lot of people get confused and frustrated because of negative things that have transpired. But we hope that every Christian would speak or pray in tongues. I hope that for you. I pray in tongues. He said, I'm a little concerned about that. Well, the New Testament was written by men who prayed in tongues. The apostle Paul said, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than you all. But we do not believe that it's the only proof that you've been empowered. Amen. Not here at Hill City. We don't believe that it's the only proof that you've been empowered by, by the Holy Spirit and so because you prayed in tongues. We don't believe that. Nor, say with me, do we believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you are not a true believer or that you're some kind of second-rate Christian. Amen. So there are people in our congregation that do not speak or pray in tongues. Don't know if they even want to. They've had some bad experience. You know, they went to a church where they went, hey, and they're like, oh, dear God. Or they got caught in some kind of home group, you know, and everybody's like, oh, there's a new one. Speak in tongues. Or they went to some service where some guy laid hands on them and said, speak it. And laid their hands on their throat. Icy hot on their fingers. And they're like, you know, dude, I'm not really good with that. Listen, according to your faith. But I want you to know this right here, right now. If you love Jesus Christ and you've surrendered your life to him, heaven is yours. Come on, somebody. And his spirit lives inside of you. I want you to have everything that he has for you. But we're going to do that in timely order in your faith journey. Are you with me? Say yes. And so I love that we don't have everybody in our congregation that thinks that they are some kind of second-rate Christian because they don't pray in tongues. I'm so grateful. I've got spiritual sons and daughters who do not pray in tongues, but they will prophesy to you. And if they lay their hands on you, you're going to get healed. But they still like, I'm not sure about the tongues thing, Pastor. So we don't make that the issue because Jesus didn't make that the issue. Jesus made the issue that you would have power. And ye shall receive power in the Holy Spirit. So these are some of our positions. And I wanted to give you that so that I can spend the next three weeks actually training you on who he is and how you and I can engage with him. Is that okay now? So now that you know our position, you know if this is the church you want to be in when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's Here's today's teaching. And this is the part of the agent that I want to bring out to you. And that is his position or his role to convict and to comfort. Turn with me to John chapter 16 and verse 7. And Jesus speaking and teaching his disciples about him sending the Holy Spirit to walk the earth with them and be in the earth with them. He says, verse 7 of John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. It's good for you that I go away. He says, I got to go away. Well, let me just say this to you. Can you imagine being his disciples? You've laid everything down. You've quit your jobs. I want you to think about quitting your job right now. And you're following this guy who you think is the Messiah, but he keeps talking about dying and leaving. And so Jesus qualifies for him. He says, Listen, it's important, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, everybody say comforter. comforter. So that should help you right there, who the person of the Holy Spirit is. He's not the weirderer. Or the freaker. He's the, say it with me, comforter. He says. If I don't go away, then the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him unto you. And he, when he is come, will convict the world in respect of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Says he will convict the world. Now, I don't know when conviction and repentance became a dirty word in the body of Christ. But we need to repent for making it a dirty word. Conviction is beautiful. Conviction and repentance is magnificent. In fact, let me just define for you what it means to be convicted. It's a, it comes from a Greek word, elencho, elinco. I think that's how you say it, elencho, which means to expose, to rebuke, and to convince. If you're heading in the wrong direction, wouldn't you hope if I had the right direction that I would do all that I could to keep you from going in the wrong direction? If you're going to end up pouring out of your mind because you're spending all your money you got at the casino, wouldn't you hope that I would step in and say, hey, your kids are not going to have any diapers if you keep doing this? I know it's fun for a moment, but this is no good for you. Wouldn't you hope that someone would love you enough to point these things out? That's the role of who? Not the preacher, not your mama, not your spouse. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. The crazy part about that is that the Holy Spirit uses your preacher, your spouse, your mama, your kids, some stupid billboard that you drew stroke past. The scriptures you've been reading this last week, he will use anything to help you, fix you, train you, convict you. Now let me show you the three areas that he says, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will his agent will convict us of. He starts, number one, with sin. And if I could kind of qualify what he's referring to as sin in this moment, is, it's something that you and I have done wrong or are doing wrong, something that is evil, something that is not right, something that's un- against God's nature, something we're actively involved in or something that we've done that we haven't repented of. And so the Spirit of the living God will begin to convict you. He will begin to what? Rebuke you. Work towards convincing you otherwise, trying to encourage you out of that. That's the Spirit of the Lord that's doing that. And, and like I said, he will use others, he'll use scenarios, he'll use all kinds of things. How many of you have ever felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in reference to sin in your life? Let me see. All right, five of you. The rest of you, stay with us. Stay with the living God and say that's coming again from the spirit of the living God. Because the moment you made a profession of your faith, Jesus, I surrender my life, I I repent of my sins, and I ask you to be the Lord of my life. The Holy Spirit began to come inside of you, and all of a sudden, things started changing. They may have been, they may not have been so noteworthy. Just like uh, uh, something's inside of me. I don't think it's anything like that. It's all of a sudden your conscience is more pricked, all of a sudden, you start sensing like that's just not good. And the reason that is, is because now you're learning to walk here and start obeying the spirit of Christ. Yes. I want you to picture this. When Jesus is with his disciples, he would rebuke them. No. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They'd gotten addicted to that. They, they felt comfort in that the Messiah was leading them in the right direction, helping them change. And so when Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to be doing that anymore. I'm going to be your advocate here, but I'm going to send my spirit here with you. And I think the beauty in that is because Jesus came in the form of a man. He can only be one place at one time. But the spirit of the living God who's in me can convict me while convicting another brother in Africa or in Asia, another sister over here. He's able to be in all those places in all of our lives. So he says, it's good for you that I go away because then he can actually live and abide in you and convict you. Of what? Of sin. And sin is when you and I are acting opposing, doing things that are opposing to God's nature. We've made a commitment to follow Jesus. We've made a commitment to love God. And so he then is the one who's convicting us. That's not right. Don't take that. Don't say that. Don't, don't do that. That's not, that's not like your Savior, Jesus Christ. He convicts us. He says he convicts us of sin, and then it says he convicts us of, un, of righteousness or unrighteousness. He'll convict us, he'll rebuke us of our unrighteousness. Now, and, in this context, the difference between sin and unrighteousness is unrighteousness is really the quality of being immoral in an area. It, it's, it's a position that you hold that's not like a position that Jesus holds. or It's an attitude that you've allowed to, to, to propagate in your life. Like, for example, unforgiveness. You may not be doing unforgiveness, but you hold a position of unforgiveness. Or you hold a position, how about this one? You hold a position that murdering innocent children are okay because of this. And so that's unrighteousness. So it's the job of the Holy Spirit to begin to convict us like that position is wrong. Or prejudice, that position is wrong. I know you feel like you have a right to that because of what you went through, but that's not like Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus being prejudiced? Because of what the Romans did to him? Or because of what some other group, people group, did to him? Rejected him? Can you imagine the apostle Paul being prejudiced? Because he went into certain cities and they tried to kill him for just trying to help them. None of us could imagine that. But yet we all have storylines that cause us to hold on to our prejudice. Well, you don't know what happened to me back in the day. You don't know how. I don't. But I know that's unrighteousness. And I know it's his job to convict us of that to rebuke us and then not only just rebuke us but remember what the definition is to convince us to and that's why he'll just stay on he'll stay on it he'll stay on it he'll stay on it. Like how in the world this week I don't have five people tell me the same thing like Satan is I bind the devil right now in Jesus' name <laughs> you might be binding conviction <laughs> from the Spirit of the Lord instead of stopping and going wait a minute Holy Spirit are you trying to tell me something he Jesus did this with Peter Peter held a position that the Messiah could not die. The true Messiah could not die because he's the king of glory. And so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, has been telling his, his disciples, I'm going to leave. They're going to, I have to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. And Peter says, they will, no, he, the Bible actually says in Matthew 16, he pulls him Messiah, saying, look, Jesus, I don't know who you think you are. But well, let me just help you out right here, okay? Like, as the Messiah, they can't do that to you. So I know your doctrine's a little off. And I've had at least four years of Bible school when I was five. Um, And so I just want to correct you on that. And the Bible says, Jesus said, get, come on, say it with, get thee behind me, Satan. This is his own disciple. He loves That he's about to die for. This is the guy that he's going to, like, vice president, going to trust to take over. And he says, get behind me. Jesus rebukes him. And the conviction that Jesus brings to Peter made Peter able to stand when the persecution came. He fixed a bad position that Peter had and called him Satan to the point that he went, what? What? He's a good dude. You would, if you and I were doing that, listen, I love you, and you can't talk like that. Okay? Because, like, you're the one. And you can't think like that. You've got to think good thoughts, okay? Like, that's a negative confession. And we can't have negative confessions. And Jesus rebukes him. He didn't do anything per se, he just had a bad position. He had a wrong position. And so, I can't tell you how many times the Spirit of the Living God began to work on my wrong position. really had this position but my position was this if I prayed more than everybody else if I fasted more than everyone else if I went to church more than everyone else if I submitted to the leadership more than everyone else then I would have miracles that no one else gets to have that was my position that's what you call a merit system you hear me talk about it all the time and hear why because I was so under that system under that philosophy and I could justify it by using certain scriptures and the Holy Spirit would just, he would just start, he just start chipping away at it, chipping away at it, chipping away at it, chipping away at it. And it took him years to finally, for me to, I, I got convinced, finally. And the reason why is because I'd gotten to the, to, you know, 20 years of ministry, and I was burned out. But I prayed everybody, I fasted everybody, I out, holy, righteous, act everyone. And even then, I was still, something was missing on the inside. And that was contentment. Christ. I was working for him instead of being with him. I was doing good for him without knowing him. And that's when all of a sudden the conviction broke through. It was the Holy Spirit's job. That's not really like Jesus. uh, Jesus is grateful that you're praying for people, but there's a motive in there. You're trying to get ahead of everyone else by being better than, and I'm a computer. I'm a ooh, only child, I compete. I will, look, pull up on the side of me on I-20. I will beat you to wherever we're going. I can't help it. Jamie's like, why are you driving so fast? because those cars are ahead of us. She's like, we're not in a hurry. I was like, well, they're there, and I'm here. And I don't sit in the back of the line. I'm going to tell you that right now. I get up there. Because they're going to do something stupid and get us all killed. She's like, slow down. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, okay. Okay. I had a bad position, and it took him years of just chipping away, chipping away, until the place I was almost burnt out. And then he said, now you got ears to hear. I want to convince you that your way is broken. It's good, but it's not great. you got some mixture of selfish ambition involved in the obedience piece. And I got delivered. And that's the only reason now Jamie and I are experiencing... um, uh, 30 years of marriage, blissful marriage. I'm experiencing 33 years of full-time ministry. And I'm still in it. And I still love you. And I still love Jesus. And it's because I let the Holy Spirit do what he does. Convict. Convince me. Rebuke me. Fix it. And then it says he'll also convict us of judgment. This has everything to do with justice. It says, everything to do with justice. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He'll say, now listen, I know you think what you're doing is okay, but there's going to be a price to pay for that. That that you need to understand real clearly that there's consequences, that there will be an accountability at some point. For whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And so that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince us, to convict us, to, if you will, rebuke us. Like, hey, 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 you keep being full of selfish ambition up in that church and you're going to reap selfish. There will be a judgment on that. And In fact, I teach you this all the time, but there are two judgments according to Scripture. There's the judgment of the Father where he separates out the sheep from the goats. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ where Christ will judge his followers whether we were obedient or not. And so... So quite frankly, when he's pulling this out, that there's going to be consequences, there's going to be understandings. And so he, he brings that to me all the time. Adam, if you keep doing this like this, you're going to have consequences on this. And so he convicts us of sin, unrighteousness or righteousness, because it used the flip of that in Scripture, and then the judgment, and the judgment is to come. The reason why I'm so passionate about this, especially right now, is that I want to see each and every one of you learn how to follow the Holy Spirit. I want to see each and every one of you get delivered from sin habits, strongholds. We're all just hammering away at, 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 you know what, I don't want to be addicted to this anymore. I don't want to have this control over this anymore. In fact, what we do here at our church is we set aside time for the Spirit of the Lord to really engage us in an intimate place. And we call that encounter. In fact, we're doing an encounter this coming Friday, Friday night, right here, seven o'clock. You can go online. You can register with us. I actually send you some video teachings because we're going to have some experiences that I want you to study the scripture to know if you actually want that and believe in that. And this is one of the reasons why we don't um, hijack you on a Sunday and start saying, you know, things that are deeper in the things of God because you didn't come prepared for that. delivered, we see people get their prayer language, we see people get delivered from, from generational curses. My mama my mama was addicted, uh, my, gra- my, my great-grandmother was addicted, or my grandmother was, and I seem to have those same tendencies, and so we break those generational curses over you, we pray with you, and we p- create an intimate place for you to experience the Lord and the power of His Holy Spirit, but we do that on a Friday night where you know exactly what you're stepping into. We give you good doctrinal teachings. You can't come if you don't go through the doctrinal teachings that I give, because I don't want you showing up going, I don't really, know if I believe in this. Well, don't show up for that. Why would you be that person? I'm going to teach you what we're going to do. I'm going to teach you what the spirit of the Lord is going to attempt to accomplish in our lives. I'm going to give you the doctrinal pieces on that where it's found in scripture. And then you can make a decision. Oh, I don't want that. That's exactly what I've been needing. Oh my goodness. Why has no one ever taught me that? Then you can show up ready to receive instead of going, I don't know. This reminds me of that one church I went to that was crazy. I don't ever want to put you in that situation. And I don't want you to put me in that situation. I want you to go through the training that we have. A couple little videos you can watch this week. So if you're, if you're like, I need, I need that pastor. I need, some, I need some experiences with the power of the living God. Then join us for the encounter. Go online, register, and we'll send you the videos so you can watch them. And then Friday night, supernatural things are going to happen. So let's go. Are you with me? Say yes. So let me tell you what our response should be to the Spirit of the Lord who's going to convict us of sin, righteousness, And the judgment to come. Write these down. Here's the first response we should have. And that is, let him do his job. It's his job. Let him do his job. In fact, you and I should wake up every day and say, Holy Spirit, convict me of what's not like Jesus in my life. Again, when did conviction become bad? It's when the preacher thought it was his job to convict you. Notice, I don't sit around trying to convict you. I don't run up to you and say, I heard what you did. My staff is ticked off at you. I don't do all that. I don't give room for the Holy Spirit to do it. Now, when he tells me, hey, I need you to go tell them that. I'm like, all right, let's go. But let the Holy Spirit do his job. He wants to convict you. He wants to convict you not because you're bad. And I don't know why. I, I guess it's because in our legal system we use the word conviction for someone who's going to go to jail. But you've got to understand, Jesus calls him the comforter who will convict you. Oh, that's good. He's the, com- so, the comforter who will convict you and then comfort you. Who will point this out to you and heal you in the process to transform you. He's a good God. Holy Spirit's a good God. And he loves you. And conviction doesn't mean that you're sentenced forever. Conviction means he's pointing it out. He's rebuking you. He's convincing you so that you can change. Not so that you can spend the rest of your life locked up. And I don't know. I think it's because of those English terms and the way we use, like, to be convicted of a crime. I think that's probably why we get real nervous. Let him do his job. Don't you want... The best coaches I ever had, or not the coaches, said, good job, good job. This coach said, come here. What are you doing? That is not how you make a layup. You're taking the wrong angle. I kept missing layups because I had a wrong angle. I just didn't know the angle. I didn't know how to put it on the backboard. I was coming straight on it, and it was bouncing right off. And he said, just come at this angle, and i take that angle, and it'd go in every time. I was like, well, first coach I ever had taught me the angles. Ta- taught me about not getting uh, 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 you know, um, trapped on the baseline. Don't play the baseline. That's stupid. You see all these pros doing it, so you want to do that. The baseline is another... They all, a good defensive player just pushes you right on out of bounds. Don't get out there on the baseline. What are you doing? Oh, my God. Made me better. That's what the Spirit of the Lord wants to do. That's what he's sent to do. To rebuke you, correct you, convince you so you can be like Jesus. So you can be what Mark chapter 16 said we would be. These signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out devils. If they drink any poison, it won't kill them. They'll heal the sick. They'll speak in other tongues. They will be this radical, magnificent me on the earth. Little me's running around. Little me's. But the job of the Holy Spirit is to make us into... Little Christians, little Jesuses, if you will. And so when we reject his, let him do his job. Everybody say amen. amen. Here's a second response that we should have, and that is recognize his conviction means you belong to him. Amen. Do you spank other people's kids? I don't. I sit in the restaurant like somebody needs to whoop them. I ain't wasting my time on that little hellion. i tell you that right now. Because I don't love them the way I love mine. I whooped mine. And the whole time I went, you ain't going to be like them little hellions at that restaurant the other day. Amen. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord, if he's convicting you, that's because you belong to him. Because you are loved by him. You are loved by the Father. You are loved by the Son. You are loved by the Spirit of the living God. In fact, John 14 and 17 says, the world cannot accept him. Jesus said, the world can't accept the Holy Spirit. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why? For he... Lives with you and will be in you. Say it with me, will be yeah. in you. Like I said, before I was a Christian, I wasn't convicted. I had a bit lying, cheating, stealing. I was like, I got ahead. And then I got saved, and all of a sudden I said, like, uh, but it took me three or four years before I realized wait, I could have power to overcome that. I got convicted, but I didn't have any power to stop it until I experienced the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But boy, that living life with conviction without empowerment, ooh, it was miserable. I feel for some of you guys who have never had the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you get this conviction all the time. I mean, listen, we used to go to Church of Christ, and every Sunday i go down and repent for the same sin. Same sin. <laughs> and their doctrine was if I didn't repent in time, I could die and go to hell. That was their, that was their doctrine at the time. I don't know if it still is because I'm not a part of them. But, but, and so we knew get to church on Sunday and repent because if you die on the way there, Hell! I don't want to go to hell. Oh, the demons beat you all night long. I don't want to go there. And so I get to church on Sunday. I get, oh, I'm forgiven. And by the end of that afternoon, I'm already in sin again. We got to go to church again tonight. That's why they had Sunday night and Wednesday night and Bible studies and all that. Because you got to get saved every day. That was the belief system. Oh, but when I encountered the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome my wickedness. And all of a sudden I was like, I am living the dream and I want all of you to know how to walk with the Holy Spirit. Here's the third response you and I should have. And that is we should embrace conviction with comfort, with the comfort. We we should embrace it. Listen, anyone who's ever done rehab. And that little dude walks in there and says, all right now, Miss Donna's doing it right now with that hip. All right, now you need to walk. Oh, I uh, uh, got me a new hip or a new knee. Or you tore up a ligament or something like that. And they come to do rehab. And you're like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And that sweet little gal or sweet little guy, come on now. We got to bend that knee. Ah, ah! Ah! And they're like, listen, there's something beautiful going to come from this. We got to do this. And they, if they're good therapists... They comfort you in the process. It's going to be okay. Come on, just a little bit more. You can do one more. Okay, one more. You can do one more. You got this in you. Come on, let me, let me help you. And that's, that's what the relationship with the Holy Spirit feels like sometimes. Is that he's convicting me, but then he comforts me in it. This is good, Adam. This is good for you. I love you. I only have the best for you. I'm like, you're right. Do it again. Do it again. Embrace that. Embrace the beauty of the conviction and the comfort. Why? Because you're his. He's not throwing you out. He's not mad at you. You're human like the rest of us. That's why the scripture lays out for us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all sin. We're all stupid. We all still have unrighteousness that we're working through. But he calls us saints. He calls us his own. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's at work in us, convicting us of these things. Sin, unrighteousness judgment to come, and then we just need to embrace it and say, Holy Spirit, while you are convicting me, I'll also embrace that you're comforting me, that you will never leave me or abandon me, that you'll never cast me out or throw me aside, that you love me, and, and, and what is Galatians 5 saying? Let us stay in step with him. Just stay in step with him, And the comfort of knowing. I mean, if you had a good mama and daddy growing up, you got whooped, but you had the comfort of knowing they're not kicking you out of their house. They're not rejecting you as their, you're their child. No matter what you do, they may whoop you and try to help you not ever do that again, but they will never disown you because you're theirs. The confidence of knowing I'm His, the comfort that comes from knowing I'm His, even while He's whooping me. That's the beauty that you got to embrace. And here's the last piece I teach you to do our response to the power of the Holy Spirit convicting us, or the work of the Holy Spirit, and that is we should repent. Repent. Now, let me help you understand. I believe that repentance is expressed in kind of like two pieces. First off, there should be a verbal, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I believe we should acknowledge it in in a prayerful discussion or prayerful acknowledgement. I repent of what I did to that lady yesterday at Walmart, who was full of demons, who triggered me. And I unleashed a few expletives on them. I repent for that, Jesus. But John the Baptist taught that repentance—that we needed to show um, fruit unto repentance. That we, he says, if you're going to repent, then show fruit unto repentance. And the best example of, of good repentance in Scripture is Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up in a tree. Jesus came to his house. He was a thief. He was a robber. He was, um, actually, he all he was was he—he um, he, he was a senator or. Uh, Worked in the White House or something. I don't know. He's one of these guys that was in power, and his crime was all kinds of white-collar crime. I mean, that dude is sitting in some legislation meetings where he realizes that uh, these businesses are going to do this. And so he goes and buys the stock before anyone else knows about it. And uh, that's basically what he's been doing, and he's been stealing, if you will. And in the moment of sitting with Jesus, the goodness of God begins to convict him, and he repents. And he says, Jesus... Everyone that I've stolen from, I'll, re- I'll return any, I think it's three or four times back. And I'll give half of everything I got to the poor instead of my selfish ambition. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. This is what repentance looks like. So repentance is not just a verbal. And I say that because for years I did youth ministry. It was so fun to watch young people say, you know, I, Pastor Adam, I just want to repent of my sins. I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. Repent. They said, like, okay. And, and, and they thought repentance was feeling bad about it. Like for the first time they felt bad about it. So because I feel bad about it, that's repentance. No, 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 no. no. Now you need to go tell your mama that you stole her $20 out of her wallet. Make it right. So in my mind, repentance has two pieces. There's a confession and and a verbal engagement of sorrow to to Jesus, to our savior. And then there's a making it right to those that we've sinned against the best we can. You say, ooh, pastor, that means I'm going back to jail if I do all that. I'll tell you, true repentance, again, is to make right what we've done wrong. And that's what Zacchaeus showed, and Jesus called it salvation. He said, salvation has come to your house today. So the work of the Holy Spirit that we're studying today is that he's come to convict and to comfort us. And here's what I would encourage you to do this week. Holy Spirit, convict me. Straighten some things out that I haven't seen or listened to. And I will respond. And in my response, bring comfort to me because I know that I'm on the path with the Lord. Be careful, though, because God will use your kids. He will use, you know, I had a pastor that I was discipling years ago. And uh, he got into this place where, you know, uh, alcohol is not a big deal. And all these preachers got into this, you know, having, having drinking cognac and stuff after services together in the green room and all this kind of stuff. And so he started into that. Well, his teenager got into some trouble. And he was disciplined as a teenager. And he said, well, you drink alcohol. What's wrong with me doing this? And he called me. He said, what do I do? I said, you listen to the Holy Spirit that's talking to you through your teenager. Because <laughs> you put yourself in a situation where you're not honoring the Lord. I know that alcohol won't send you to hell. I know it's not sinful. Drunkenness is sinful. But he had, he, had, he had literally set a different example for his own child than he had for his own life. And that that's the unrighteousness that Jesus was convicting him of. And he used his own kid to do it. I can't tell you how many times Jamie and I put the kids in the room and said, all right, we want to repent to y'all and before Almighty God. We made some mistakes here and we just, we don't want to be like, we want, y'all pray for us. And they come lay their hands, Lord, we just asked the devil to come out of daddy right now in Jesus' name. I should you shut you little suckers? I'll whoop you for this. <laughs> conviction is good. Everybody say, conviction is good. And comfort is good. Everybody say, comfort is good. And the spirit of the living God that lives inside of you, his come, his job. One of his main jobs is to convict you and to comfort you. When we come back next week, we'll look at how his other part of his job is to teach you and to guide you.